This is the Public Radio Hour, a weekly mix of special programs and homemade radio features. On this episode, we're going on a ride to learn how some people will be affected by route changes for Huntsville's public transit system. So instead of having to ride over an hour in one direction, we now have routing. In most cases, you can get back on the bus to return home at the same location where you got off. We'll also head into interstellar space with jazz musician Willie Ruff, who helped create Voyager 1's legendary golden record. And we were able then to pick up Kepler's challenge to construct a planetarium for the ear using his calculations, his three laws of planetary motion, and nothing else. And the WLRH Community Newsroom continues its interview series on Huntsville's theater scene with a visit from Theater Huntsville's Leslie Gates. The Public Radio Hour is next right after the news. This is the Public Radio Hour, a production of member-supported 89.3 Huntsville, our weekly mix of special programs and homemade radio features. I'm your host, Brett Tannehill. Thanks for tuning in. We have some very exciting conversations ahead in the next hour with jazz musician and music educator Willie Ruff, who's done all sorts of amazing things, including his role in creating the legendary Golden Record, now riding on board the Voyager 1 spacecraft as it flies through interstellar space for a possible rendezvous with alien life. Who knows? We'll hear more about that. WLRH Community Newsroom producer Dan Paulus continues his interview series exploring Huntsville's theater scene with a visit from Leslie Gates of Theater Huntsville. We'll get to that in a few minutes, but right now, grab your things and hustle up. We need to catch this bus. Huntsville's public transit system has begun a five-phase effort to improve its service and efficiency. And in phase one, a number of current riders have discovered that their service is being eliminated, and they're trying to figure out how they'll still get from point A to point B and back. Katie Ganaway takes us on a bus ride to meet some of those affected. The findings of a 2018 study on Huntsville's public transit system inspired a five-phase plan, bringing the biggest number of changes to the system since it launched in 1990. Phase 1 rolled out on July 1st, implementing the initial improvements to the city's public transit operations, like shortening ride times and extending weekday hours of operation. I joined retired veteran Clark Powell to catch a ride in downtown Huntsville before Phase 1 went into effect. And this is where everybody comes and hangs out. It's 11 a.m. at the Huntsville bus transfer station on Church Street. As shuttles pull in, Powell and other passengers climb on board. Okay, it's right on. We'll let you know. It's near a stop, but it's far enough away from the stop. Powell boards the number three bus and pays the $1 fare. He's a disabled veteran who lives in South Huntsville. This bus travels one of two routes he depends on most. Like, I go to the VA. And, and anywhere else, or help me with shopping, because I, I don't own a car anymore. Powell lives in an area that lost six route segments as part of a plan to improve public transit in Huntsville. Gina of Huntsville is also a frequent bus rider. Today she's headed to a doctor's appointment. Like Powell, she's had to adapt to get around. Where I live at the lighthouse, there used to be a bus that can't come, comes through, but now there's no more bus. So I have to take a cab from there to here, when usually it would just run right by, like across the street. 
John Autry, manager of Huntsville's Public Transportation Department, says he understands this predicament. For most riders, he says, they're getting more direct service in places people ride the most. And for others that may be used to having the bus come right to their almost to their front door, they will be disappointed that they have to walk a little further to get to the bus stop. In 2018, the Huntsville Public Transportation Department investigated these problems with help from transportation consultants Nelson Nygaard. They surveyed residents who rely on the bus service. The feedback was compiled and helped create a five-phase plan to be carried out over the next five years. Another frequent rider, Quinn, tells us he enjoys certain aspects of public transit as it is. It's easy and it's cheap and um, I love the ride. I just like to ride around the town. So, yeah. Lengthy and inconvenient ride times were mentioned frequently in the study. Quinn says he understands the frustration, but he doesn't let it upset him. Well, you gotta be patient. I say that. that. Well, no, no, no. It could be nice for me. So, and I'm excited to see in the next five years where are we going with this because I see nothing but positivity coming. That's Deshaun, the driver of the number seven bus. He says he hears concerns about long ride times than most among others, but he's optimistic about shorter commutes in the future. Huntsville is definitely growing, and um, I think everything will be not perfect in the beginning, but we'll get there. Autry says ridership data from the study helped add 131 more bus stops to the route map. However, the original map included underutilized route segments. We have heard complaints uh, from people you know, trying to get other places about having to ride uh, 45 minutes uh, on that part of the route just to get uh, where they're going to the mall, uh, for example. So some routes had to be cut. So instead of having to ride over an hour in one direction, uh, we, we now have routing that is out and back or bi-directional. So you can, in most cases, you can get back on the bus to return home uh, at the same location where you got off. Phase 2 launches next August. An additional bus will be added to Route 1, serving riders with destinations like Big Spring Park and the downtown Huntsville Library. This would reduce ride times on weekdays from one hour to one half hour. For WLRH, I'm Katie Ganaway. free mobile app, RouteShout 2.0 officially launched the same day Phase 1 of Huntsville's new public transit plan went live. The app shows users where buses are in real time from any bus stop in the city. Find more details on all five phases of the new plan at HuntsvilleAL.gov. Just click on the Huntsville Transit button on the homepage. You can also hear this story again on our website, WLRH.org, and share it on social media. The story is shareable on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Just search WLRH. Thanks to Katie Ganaway for filing that report. And as she reported, Huntsville's public transit system is undergoing a five-phase improvement project. You can find more links to information on that project on the Public Radio Hour page for this episode, where you can also hear a podcast of this show. That's at WLRH.org. Just look under Programs for the Public Radio Hour. We're getting ready to train the newest class for the WLRH Community Newsroom, a team of volunteer producers that helps us make homemade radio features for this show 
and for our local music show, Valley Sounds, which airs Saturday nights at 9 o'clock. Dan Paulus is one of the newest recruits, and he's producing a three-part series exploring the challenges and collaborations happening within Huntsville's theater scene. For this installment, he spoke with Theater Huntsville's Leslie Gates. Just to give you a little bit of history, um, Theater Huntsville has been around since the 50s. Um, Second oldest arts organization after Huntsville Community Chorus. Back in 1997, Huntsville Little Theater, as it was known then, merged with Twickenham Repertory Company, which had been around since the 70s, to create Theater Huntsville. They found that they had a lot of the same people doing a lot of the same work, and it just made sense on so many levels to join forces. So you have these two smaller companies mm-hmm. that, that people that have lived in Huntsville for quite a while may know of. Oh, yes. But but those that have been here since the 90s would know you all as Theater Huntsville. Correct. Okay. It's been, we're about to go into our 23rd year as Theater Huntsville. And mm-hmm. what kind of background do the folks involved, first of all, yourself, bring to the theater? And, and uh, you know, we love to hear about the challenges and the ups and downs, but tell us about your background and leading and so forth. Well, my background um, is pretty much in theater. That's pretty much what I've done all my life. My parents, my mother was in theater and she fostered a love of it at an early age. I did my first show when I was five years old and I've been kind of doing it ever since. I went to college, got a degree in theater, um, worked professionally in Atlanta and Chicago. Um, You know, I, I never made it to Broadway for that Tony Award, but it doesn't matter because I'm still getting to do theater. There you go. You know, uh, that degree wasn't useless after all, Dad. Um, (laughs) So I've been in Huntsville for about 15 years now. And um, when I got here, I started working with several of the groups because we have so much, so much great theater in town. Um, But Theater Huntsville seemed to be kind of, you know, the the place that I kind of found my niche. And um, I got more and more involved with them and eventually got to the point where now I work for them as their executive director. Well, that's great. So yeah. what, is, what do you consider kind of the mission or the why of what Theater Huntsville is trying to do? You know, when you think about picking shows and your mm-hmm. audience, what differentiates Theater Huntsville from some of the other companies in town? Well, we are really the only company in town that consistently does plays as opposed to musicals. Okay. Um, we, it's a conscious decision on our part to do plays and smaller musicals. We, we don't want to duplicate what other people are doing, you know, because there's some great work going on in this town. Um, so that's kind of our niche is we offer something that you're not going to see in a lot of other places. We try to find a balance of new shows, classic shows, comedies, dramas. You know, we want to give people maybe a show they're familiar with that they like every so often. But we also want to bring new works, um, you know, find playwrights that we find exciting, you know, works that maybe have commentary on what's going on in our world. Maybe plays that don't have any commentary. They're just fun. So we try to strike a broad range because people have so many different tastes. And, you know, you're never going to, not everybody's ever going to like every play. And even among us, we all have very differing opinions. But we try to find that sweet spot right in the middle where we can offer um, our audiences a wide array of entertainment options. Because what our, our mission really is, is to bring that high-quality, dramatic theatrical productions to the area. And, and how does that connect in your mind to the community? We talk about, you know, Huntsville as a, a science, big science community mm-hmm. space and so forth. And then mm-hmm. there's an arts scene, which you're a part of. Yes. What do you think Theater Huntsville and the theater arts contribute to the local community as part of, part of all that? So, so much. You know, arts and culture are just a really important part of community. 
You know, I always say that theater and arts are one of those things that kind of reflect what's going on in our society. It, you know, it comes from the Greek, the seeing place, you know, and I've heard lots of, you know, there's all sorts of different ways to, you know, get philosophical on the impact of the arts. But I think what it really does is it gives people a chance to see themselves reflected. You know, people love stories. They love storytelling. I mean, in our life every day, we're constantly telling each other stories and becoming part of each other's lives and and seeing how we fit in, what's our place in the world. And I think theater can do that. Recently, we've really made a much more concerted effort to try to diversify a lot of what we're doing to reflect the changing landscape in Huntsville. And there is a place where art meets science. We try to find shows sometimes that, oh, what's, is there a scientific connection? Is there something that would interest, you know, the scientific community? And we're getting, you know, we're finding more and more of those shows. What I like about theater is, for me at least, and I think a lot of others, it takes us out of our head a bit and into our heart and our emotions. Mm-hmm. And that seems doubly important in a place that's very analytical, right, mm-hmm. in terms of what people's actual work is, very mm-hmm. you know, security-based, cybersecure, all this kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I would think it's a gift to the community to help people go to that different place, mm-hmm. um, not only enjoying the, themselves, but being in a more of an emotional, vulnerable place. Would you agree with that? Or? I would agree with that very much. Um, it, it's, you know, sometimes nice to be able to put aside one part of what you do all day long and go to another world and just kind of let that go and just let your feelings out. Well, we like that. We're glad we to do. to do that. And, you know, we have a lot, a lot of volunteers but, that are engineers, scientists. All right. That's what I wanted to ask you about. Mm-hmm. So when you're choosing where you're going to perform, mm-hmm. I, I think you do most of the things at VBC is my understanding. We do right now at the Von Braun Playhouse. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of high schools in town that mm-hmm. have great spaces. Oh, yeah. You know, how do you attract people to audition? Because there's a lot going on. I don't yes. know if you find that there's, you know, um, a need for actors um, mm-hmm. in, in all the things that are casting. And then how do you find an appeal for audiences to be able to sell and promote the shows that you're doing? Well, uh, to answer the casting question first, um, all of our auditions are open to any and everybody. There's no – you don't have to have any experience. You don't have to um, – there's no buy-in. There's no any of that. You show up. You audition. Everybody's a level playing field. And, you know, we, we find new people all the time. And we just cast a show where there are so many new people. And I love that. You know, and friends of friends will tell people about it. And, you know, we just tend to find these people, and they're amazing. So lots of new people. And also some regulars, I would imagine, too, that have come back time yes. and time again. And yes, diff- we do. Different levels of ability, probably, too, that go mm-hmm. into all that. Some people like yourself have a theater mm-hmm. background. Others are trying it brand new and, and really experience it for the first time. That's right. So what about collaboration? WLRH is very interested in mm-hmm. how the arts are collaborating throughout the community, helping promote that collaboration. Mm-hmm. What have you found in terms of working with other theater companies, um, other technical directors, actors, mm-hmm. and so forth, to help Theater Huntsville do what it wants to do, but also to understand the broader collaboration and the broader audiences you all are trying to attract all these shows. We have a very collaborative community for which we are extremely grateful. I don't see the other theaters as our as competition. Okay. Um, we all create an arts community together. It's the kind of all boats rise together. We create more theater goers um, or more arts patrons. And we all work together really well. We have a lot of the same actors. 
um, technical people, directors, volunteers. A lot of those people work at a lot of different organizations. And um, we cross-pollinate quite a bit, and we're all very supportive of each other. We borrow things from each other. Um, we go to each other's shows when we can. So I say it's so hard to go see the arts when you're involved in them, you know, because there's something going on all the time. So we're very fortunate that our arts community is amazingly cohesive and supportive of each other. Well, that, that's good to hear. And I, I think my observation has been um, there is so much going on, mm-hmm. especially for young families. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to theater, there's just a ton of events that are happening in Huntsville and Madison mm-hmm. and Madison County. So um, I'm sure, like anything, it's a challenge to, to get the word out of it when is. your shows are happening and to try to um, encourage people beyond season ticket holders, which I believe you do have, right? Yes, we do. Um, to come on out and, and give it a try and see if this show is for you and and then have a good experience and want to attend future Theater Huntsville but also other productions mm-hmm. in the area. Is that a, kind of a fair assessment in terms of your, what your experience has been? Uh, pretty much, pretty much. We, um, you know, we're always looking for new avenues of outreach. You know, the, the publicity landscape has changed so much in the past 10 years. You know, it used to be that you get a poster and a story in the newspaper and Um, Now it's very social media driven, very word of mouth driven. Um, You know, so it's been a challenge to, you know, sometimes get your message through all of the noise. Noise is a good word that's going on out there. It is because it moves so fast. Absolutely. It's it really mul- it's, moves so fast. It's a multi-channel universe, and, mm-hmm. and again, we're privileged to have a WLRH, an organization like that, that wants to promote the local arts scene Absolutely. and everything else Absolutely. WLRH is f- so supportive of the local arts scene. We love them. That's right. Um, all right. So last question I wanted to ask you is mm-hmm. about um, the future. Yes. Um, what kind of dreams do you have <laughs> for your company? Are there certain shows, resources, performance spaces? Mm-hmm. You know, um, just just give a, paint a picture for us about – I guess in a perfect world or even an imperfect world, what, what the future looks like for Theater Huntsville and what you want to invite people into moving forward. Boy, do we have big dreams. <laughs> um, we, we really do. We have um, a lot of things that we want to do, expanding our performance capacity, adding different types of performances, different types of theatrical events. We're talking well, juggling here? Or we talk, what, what kind well, of things? No, there's just so much out there, different types of shows that are maybe smaller niche shows, different types of things. You know, there's immersive theater, there's, you know, improv theater. There's so much out there that so, we're not able to offer right now. So we're, you know, one of our things that we're looking at down the road is here's everything we want to do. How do we do it? And we're building that right now. We're, um, we just hired our second employee, and so we are starting a growth phase, and we do have a lot of stuff we want to do. So there's the yeah. dream part about that, and then the planning and strategy part about that yes. to get to it in mm-hmm. a time and in, a, in a, a way with the support you need to, to realize some of those dreams. Correct. I mean, it's a, it's, a road, it's a real roadmap. You have to, you know, you say, this is what we want, then you kind of work backwards and say, these are all the things we need to get there. And, you know, we're starting to work on that. So hopefully soon we will start to be able to share some of the things that we want to get going on. Well, we look forward to those details, Leslie. And yes, we're grateful too. that you came in today to talk to us about Theater Huntsville and how mm-hmm. long it's been around and give us more of a sense of the theater scene here. And we wish you good luck with everything moving forward and break a leg. Well, thank you so much, Dan.
That was Theater Huntsville's Leslie Gates talking with Community Newsroom producer Dan Paulus here on the Public Radio Hour on member-supported 89.3 Huntsville. Thanks for tuning in and supporting this station. In our final segment, let's hear from jazz musician and music educator Willie Ruff, a native of the Shoals area who has traveled the world playing and teaching music. Ruff sat down with Dory Nutt to talk about his time as a professor at Yale University, his musical influences, and his Kepler project, which Carl Sagan commandeered to add to the golden record on board Voyager 1, now hurtling through interstellar space. We'll join the conversation as Ruff describes his discovery of a musical connection with rocket pioneer Werner von Braun. Just recently, quite recently, probably within the last three or four months, I was happening, I was just looking up information about Paul Hindemith, the, the great German composer who was my teacher uh, at Yale, and I, I noticed among the famous students of his, there must have been two or three hundred people. I was not listed there. Oh, my However, gosh. Werner von Braun was listed as a, a music student of Paul Hindemith on the worldwide internet. Oh, my so gosh. So I said, sweet Jesus. <laughs> gotta go I, I've got to find daughter? out about yeah. this. Yeah. And luckily, before I got to meet Margaret von Braun, I met her older sister, Iris. And Iris explained to me how it was that Paul Hindemith and Werner von Braun came together in the 20s during the great Bauhaus movement in Germany. Uh That, That Paul Hindemith was a resident teacher at this very progressive boarding school in Germany and that's where von Braun was went to went to prep school, and he met Hindemith and became a piano pupil of his and a composition pupil of his. Oh, well, you know, we here in Huntsville might be some of the only people on the planet who have gotten to hear a composition by Werner von Braun um, when the Huntsville Chamber Music yes. Guild had their special yes. concert back in April. Dr. Melody Ng played these pieces. Really, there were three or four pieces by Werner von. Brown. Instrumental and pieces? For the piano. For just piano, little okay. piano pieces. Right. And they weren't music for the ages, but they were certainly someone who sure. studied and knew Absolutely. their stuff. Um, it was very interesting. And, Had to be. Um, and, and it's just a very special time here in Huntsville that we get to honor yes. all of this and think back about. And, and also the, get to point up the interdependence mm-hmm. of the arts and the exact sciences. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, I'd like to, um, we're, we're going to talk about your connection to Hindemith, Werner von Braun's connection to Hindemith, but let's, for people that may not be familiar with this composer, let's take just a moment to listen to Hindemith's music so people will get an idea Good. of what he can sound like. Absolutely. In case they're not familiar. And, and since you're a French horn player, I've chosen a short movement for horn and piano. This is Hindemith's Alt Horn Sonata, the Lebhaft movement. Thank you. 
That was the Lebhoff movement of Paul Hindemith's Sonata for Alto Horn, played here by French hornist Jennifer Montone. And if you're just joining us, I'm talking today with French hornist Willie Ruff, and we're talking Hindemith. Could you tell us a little about Hindemith and what he was working on when you were studying with him at Yale? What did you find when you got there to study with him? Very interesting, Dory. Uh, I knew nothing about Paul Hindemith until... Back at that point when I was a soldier serving with the Tuskegee Airmen, Mm -hmm. I was 16 years old at that time, and uh, I was trying to decide what I wanted to do with the rest of my life because my military enlistment was coming to an end. And I happened to go to the library at Lockbourne Air Force Base outside Columbus, Ohio, and I picked up a jazz magazine called Downbeat, and in it was an interview with the absolute king, the pope of modern jazz expression, Charlie Parker, Charlie Yardbird Parker. He was unequaled uh-huh. in, in his uh, gift and his his success as a as a musician. You know? Yes, yes. And this interviewer asked him, said, "Bird." 
what would you do with the next several years of your life if you had your druthers? And he said, oh, that's easy. He says, I've gone as far as I can go on my own with self-study. I've never had really a teacher, a real master teacher. Mm -hmm. And he says, there's this German cat (laughs) named Paul Hindemith. And he's teaching composition and music theory at Yale. If I had the wherewithal, I would go there, sit at his feet, Uh and learn me some music. Wow. From Charlie Parker. From Charlie Parker. (laughs) Now, I said, oh, look at here. The good Lord done smiled on old Willie. (laughs) Charlie Parker didn't have the wherewithal to do all of that, but I had, by that time, served three years in the in the military i had the gi bill Bill. i could go attend any university in the world Mm -hmm. is that i could get into okay and uncle sam uncle sugar (laughs) u.s uncle sugar would pick up the tab for the entire thing Uh so i said "Mm," i wrote to these people in New Haven, Connecticut, from my little perch in Columbus, Ohio. And they sent me a catalog and and applications and stuff, and I filled it all out and sent it back in, and they invited me to come for an audition. And by some miracle, they let me in, Dory. <laughs> they let me in. And it broke my heart. Charlie Parker never showed up because <laughs> you, I was you were hoping, there waiting for him. And absolutely, yeah. there I was waiting for him and having you know got access to Paul Hindemith and uh-huh. and and all of the rest of the fabulous things about that great university. Uh-huh. And Charlie Parker doesn't show, right? Yeah. But if he had shown, I thought he would have been hugely disappointed because Hindemith was not about teaching modern music oh my 20th gosh. century music yeah. he was about he was teaching a fantastic course that i loved but thought i would hate okay. and the course <laughs> was called a history of the theory of music now i didn't like history uh-huh. <laughs> and i didn't know anything about theory so what was i to do with this crazy little german right, <laughs> right. talking about the history of the theory of music and he started from the beginning a polyphonic music. Okay. With all of these ancient instruments, which we dug up uh, because we had a, a, a visiting professor there from the, the Metropolitan Museum in New York, which has the largest collection of musical instruments probably in the world. And from all times, I mean, back to probably the, the ninth century, you know, sackbutts, crumhorns. Shroms, things I'd never heard of before. Yeah. And we, Hindemith put that stuff together, and I heard it. I said, oh, Lord have mercy. Bird ought to hear this. Bird <laughs> ought to be here to hear this. Right. Because all of these cats, whose names generally were anonymous. Right, right. Written on top of the music was anonymous. I said, who is this cat anonymous? We, we play that on WLRH all the time. Do and you? I, and I have to say, this is by oh, anonymous. Ano- we don't even know. It's oh, from so long ago. You don't know who, 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 who did it, you know. And Hindemith, no. He had it all figured because he, he had chosen it. Uh-huh. And we, we made recordings. 
mm-hmm. commercial recordings. Oh. We played in the Metropolitan Museum. You know, like I'm still wearing my khakis from a soldier suit, <laughs> right underneath the blue blazer, Yale, and the white bucks, and all of all of all of the shoes. You know, the, mm-hmm. and, and all. And and in addition to playing in the grand foyer of the Metropolitan Museum, all of this glorious music from the early Renaissance and earlier mm-hmm. there, we go to the cloisters, which is a branch of the Metropolitan Museum there in New York. In other words, ancient ideas about the interaction of it. Now, what Hindemith is working on at the same time is an opera on Johannes Kepler's life. Okay. Johannes Kepler, the great, great astronomer who really uncovered for us in the three laws of planetary motion, celestial mechanics as we know it, and particularly here in Huntsville, Alabama today. Exactly, but but he was not just concerned with calculation and mathematics no. and planetary movement. He I, he really uh, was interested in music and thought it was absolutely. all interconnected. A- absolutely. Yeah. And on in, in the treatise that he published 400 years Years ago, 1619, mm-hmm. there is music notation on on the on the uh, the, the cover of the of the treatise, which he wrote in Latin so everybody could read it. Exactly. That's and it's what there they did now. back then. Yes, yes. <laughs> absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. So Kepler and, and Hindemith we never stopped stressing this, that Kepler was thoroughly ground in the quadrivium, that is, the four subjects, astronomy, mathematics, uh, uh, music, and geometry. Those were the four sciences of measure, exact measure, and music was among them. Well, of course, and, and I guess he explained the planetary motions That's right. in terms of these harmonic exactly. relationships. He, he called it the song of the earth. That's right, yeah. the harmony of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, Kepler, Kepler called this, I guess, when he figured out all of these ca- calculations for the planetary orbits and, yes. and motion, mm-hmm. he... He called it music of the intellect because he yes. did not have the tools to realize these calculations mathematically. Exactly. But you did, or at least you knew somebody who did. Now in the twentieth century, how, how did you? How did you come to that? How did this come to you? Well, by a, another more miraculous mem, uh, miracle that uh, got me entry into Yale as a student. Uh, several years later, less than 20, I guess, uh, they, Yale invited me back as a professor. And I taught in the same room that Paul <laughs> Hindemith had taught in with all four walls covered with uh, uh, music uh, staves, you know, because he wrote on all four of the walls as, as, he, uh, as he taught there. And it occurred to me that here, 300 and more than 50 years ago, after Kepler had published his data of of 1619, Mm -hmm. uh, that that the the something had happened that uh, that permitted humankind to do all of the calculations that Kepler had laid out for us there, 400 years earlier, 350 years earlier. And uh, and that was what every person within the the sound of my 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 voice here 
is probably has in in a pocket or hanging on a on <laughs> well, a belt on their iPhone. Cal- yeah, that's right. <laughs> could do it on their iPhone now. Yeah, you could. Yeah, yeah. You could. And so uh, we went and and also you know we wanted to dispel the myth that that uh, all of this technology unfolded on campuses, mm-hmm. universities, higher learning. It did not. Yeah. It unfolded in industry, such as Bell Labs, which was in Princeton's backyard. Mm-hmm. So I uh, contacted a, a great Mississippian and, uh, uh, the friend at, at Bell Labs uh, who, who uh, uh, put me in touch with a graduate student who had access to Bell Labs wow. uh, there. And, and we were able then to pick up Kepler's challenge to make a, a construct a planetarium for the ear using his his calculations, his three laws of planetary motion, and nothing else. Oh, this is amazing, and and I got to listen to a little bit of it online, and we'll we'll listen in just a moment. But I have to say that that it's more it's more sound than actual music, but. Um, well, we'll, we'll what take a is musical about it, Dory, is the interrelationships of harmony. It's called the harmony of the world, not the melodies, okay. but but the, the relationship of each planet as it moves about its elliptical orbits mm-hmm. around around the uh, around the sun. Okay. And and it happened that when the record w- w- we got our first pressing of it, um, news people swarmed uh, into my world on, on uh-huh. the Yale campus uh-huh. and it, it made the, fir- the front page of the science section of the New York Times which is published every Tuesday right, front, right. right on the <laughs> Carl Sagan out in California Jet Propulsion Labs read that New York Times article and called me <laughs> uh, at, on my, my little office on the Yale campus and he says Professor Ruff, and I said, yes, sir. And he says, this is Carl Sagan calling from Jet Propulsion Labs in California. We're about to send out a spacecraft called Voyager, aboard which we're sending sounds from the Earth. And on it will be Bach, Beethoven, Louis Armstrong, Mm -hmm. Charlie Parker, all of these people. And we would like permission to include your planetarium for the ear that you and Professor John Rogers, a great geologist colleague and musician, great pianist. We performed a lot of Hindemith music uh, together Uh at that that time. But at any rate... uh, uh, we gave uh, Carl Sagan permission to include it on the golden record, mm-hmm. which is out there soaring away from the influence <laughs> of our solar system as we speak. Just amazing, just amazing to think that that's, that's coming. Well, I know everybody's eager to hear a little bit of this. So okay. this this clip, this is this is the um, the sound of Mercury realized from its. Um, planetary orbit around the sun and it lasts for about six minutes and it is a sound i i worried a little that if i just played this whole six minute piece that people might think something was wrong with their radio but we're gonna we're gonna comment a little on it while it goes and uh, so i'm gonna start it here all um, right and you can hear the sound of mercury
also were listening to this, the, the first sound, the high trill you heard was Mercury, and then right. you heard Venus, Venus come in. And then, then and Earth. Earth has entered. Okay. And, and unfortunately, we realized, I had this great idea that we would comment on it when I turn on our microphones. Mr. Ruff cannot hear. You should be listening to Mars by but, now. But there comes Mars. Okay. And there's almost a little trailing off of the sound. There is, because Mercury will be the first to drop off, and at the end, you will only hear the rhythm of Pluto, which has been demoted. It's not even a a planet anymore. (laughs) Well, some would argue that fact, but now comes the low strum of um, Saturn. Saturn, I guess. I can't hear it. I I know that you're that you're not able to hear. But there's almost. I mean, is it almost like a little Doppler effect when the pitch falls off as we lose one? No, they they are farther. They're farther away from the sun when the pitch lowers. The closer they are to the sun, the higher the pitch, the farthest out. And we will hear in the last, the latter uh, three of the planets, just sounds like a drum beat. It does, And that's, yeah. that it will be Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. Pluto. I, I read somewhere a description of these, and they said Uranus ticks rapidly, right. Neptune clicks, and Jupiter thumps. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, well, and, and just to describe a couple of others of these, um, you I read that Venus and Earth have almost circular orbits. That's right. They have narrow melodic ranges. Earth sings a mournful tune based on a minor second. That's right. Mi, fa, which Kepler took as misery, famine. Which was prevalent in his time. Yes, it was. He Thirty knew a lot years about war, that. Yeah. The religious war. This is war. back in the 16th, 17th century, I That's guess. Right. Yeah. Okay, and then somebody said Mars has a relatively irregular orbit yes. and sings a fast-moving tune spanning a wide range of tones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they all have have their own characteristic. Mercury that we started with, it sh- whistles like a shrill piccolo. That's right, and it, it is the most eccentric yeah. of all of the orbits. First law of Kepler's uh, planet, laws of planetary motion was that the, these, the path of these, these planets are elliptical, mm-hmm. whereas before they had been thought to be circular. Circular, yeah. And yeah. not sun-centered, earth-centered. <laughs> A lot of big changes came to people during that time. Yeah, a lot of big ideas came into being. And then they continued on until we have this fabulous realization of the sounds yes. of the planet's orbits. I'm, I'm going to turn off our microphone so you can hear where we are, and we're going to listen to a little more of Good. this. As we listen to this reporting from Willie Ruff's Kepler project, this this is in effect what, if you could imagine Voyager taking a 
very fast journey, faster than the one it's on, through our solar system from the sun past each of the planets. You hear each one as you pass. The sound is based on their their rotation mm-hmm. around the sun. And I guess we're, we're getting to the outer reaches of the solar system now. Mm-hmm. And, and you said after Voyager leaves our solar system, it will not encounter any other anything it's else already gone belong but beyond the influences of our solar system and it won't encounter anything for another 40,000 years isn't that wonderful mind-boggling by then we will have grown up <laughs> well we're going to just listen to the end of this this the outer reaches of our solar system here we go Voyager has left <laughs> our solar system. You know, even I mentioned this is not really music. It's it's more sound, mm-hmm. but our our ears, I mean, I tend to look for harmonic relationships in that and, and find them. Mm-hmm. And even then, you know, we look for a steady pulse. It's very comforting. We mm-hmm. all have a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And, and I enjoyed listening to that when I just sat and listened to it a few times yesterday, all the way through. Hmm. It was just astounding. And and if you, if you would like to hear this in its entirety without um, us commenti- commenting over it. I found this on your website, willyruff.com. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's okay. R-U-F-F, willyruff.com. Mm-hmm. And um, under the um, the music tab, Kepler. I guess. Kepler yes, label. The yes. Kepler label. Uh, you can find that on there and just uh, sit down and take yourself a journey through our solar system. Yeah. Just astounding. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never heard anything like it. Hmm. Um, well, let's, let's take a little turn now and uh, listen to some music. Um, Let's listen to a recording that you played on, Willie. This is Miles Davis, Porgy and Bess. Hmm. This is the famous and very appropriate summertime. Hmm. And the trumpet player front and center is, of course, Miles Davis, but you can hear the mellow French horn chiming in. Thank you. Thank you. 
That was Music and Conversation with jazz musician and music educator Willie Ruff. He spoke with Dory Nutt earlier today during our mid-morning classic and classical music show Morning Blend, which airs weekdays from 9 to noon. You can find a full-length version of this interview and a podcast of tonight's episode of the Public Radio Hour on our website at WLRH.org and on the WLRH Facebook page. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to tune in this weekly mix of special programs and homemade radio features every Thursday night at 7 o'clock. We'll see you on the radio next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you.